You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 164 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm okay, Val. Yes? What's I'm, new? I'm, What's happening? Well, it's, you know, it's school holidays, Val, so uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> I think that's about as much as we need to say about that, don't you? <laughs> Fair you love school holidays, don't you? Oh, no, I do. I, I actually really do love them, but I just, you know, they just make things a bit more complicated, that's all. They yes. make general life a bit more complicated when you work from home. So they yes. just there's, there's always a certain amount of trepidation, I guess, is probably the word, and there's a lot of forward planning involved in, oh, uh, yes. in getting through the school holidays. So Do you have to good. think of all sorts of activities? Oh, not so much because I no no because I'm not an occupier. I've never been an occupier. I think we mm. we do a lot of stuff like we go and do and see and whatever. Yeah. But I'm not one of those people that feels like kids need to be doing a thousand things uh, right. every single day. I'm a big firm believer in leaving space and time to be bored because I think that's when interesting things happen. Like you know, book boy mm. reads a lot of books. Yes. Writes songs. You know, he wouldn't do all of that. He wouldn't do any of that stuff if I had him out doing, you know, abseiling and rock yes, climbing. Yes, true. All Tennis that camp. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we do a couple of things like that and then we have a lot of space for um, just getting on with being a kid, I think. Yes. This is an important thing. So, yeah, and in the in that time when there we have the getting on, being a kid stuff, that's when I get my work done as well. Mm, well, I mm. love school holidays. Yeah, I know you love them because it's quiet and there's no traffic. And- That's right, no traffic. Oh. It's just magical, the, the difference that it makes. And I can't uh-huh. wait for the four, or maybe it's five now, I don't know, four or five boys over the road to go on holidays, which they seem to do every single school holidays. So that's exciting for me. <laughs> 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 yeah, see, it's just two different perspectives on the on the one two week period, isn't it? Yes, that's right. In the meantime, I'm just okay today. Well, oh, I could be better. I could be You're better. always better. Why? What's the matter? Oh, my contact lens went into the back of my eye two days ago. It hasn't come back out. Back out. And oh, I'm sorry, but that sounds horrible. <laughs> Is that horrible? Well, is that yeah. weird? It's a bit weird. It's happened once before. It came out five days later. Um, so I'm just hoping. Is it just, does it feel like you've got some irritation behind your eye all the time? Not all the time, but from time to time you can go, oh, my God, yeah, there, it's there. Oh, my God, I wish it would come out. Hurry up, come oh, out. Oh, that's so awkward. Yeah. What, is there anything strange. you can do to kind of hasten its progress? Well, I've gone to the chemist and I've bought these sort of drop things because I think if you, you know, I'm just, hopefully trying to encourage it to come out. 
I'm just trying to will it to <laughs> come. It doesn't come out. Do you have to go in and have it extricated or something? Well, Extract I'm just it? hoping it will. I don't want to think of that. I'm just hoping it will. So. I didn't yeah. even know that was a thing. I didn't know yeah. they could go all the way back there. Yeah, I know. Well, I didn't know either until it happened the first time. Um, anyway. Well, I have all sorts of adventures with my contact lenses. One time I dropped my contact lens, you know, like out of off, out of my hand and onto the sink or whatever, and Rocky the cat came along and ate it. And oh. as he was eating it, I'm going, don't, Rocky, and he ate it. And he swallowed it. Yeah. And went, mmm, tasty. <laughs> mm, okay. Anyway. Well, I think everyone should just, you know, send their – Global universal goodwill and wishful yes. thinking to extracting vowels contact contract contact. Will it out? Contact. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on a do different we, note, do we need a hashtag for this. Or <laughs> no, what? we don't. We don't <laughs> get vowels contact lens out. No, we don't. <laughs> Let's move on instead okay. to uh, a shout out. We want to give a shout out to Astrid Schult. Now, this is so exciting. Astrid gave us the news. Um, She said, I've completed several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre over the last six years, which were not only educational and inspirational, but allowed me to meet like-minded individuals. Writing is mostly a solitary pursuit, and it's so important to surround yourself with people who understand the sacrifices required. My favourite courses were Introduction to Novel Writing with Pamela Freeman and History, Mystery and Magic with Kate Forsyth. I signed with my agent, da, 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 dun, dun, dun. Hilary Jacobson of ICM Partners in November last year via the Fantastic Pitch Wars competition. In the mid- middle of January, I went out on submission and shortly afterwards was offered a two-book deal with Putnam, an imprint of Penguin Random House in the USA. Oh, that's uh, exciting. So exciting. I was in complete shock. It's been my dream to be a published author, a dream I've been working on for the last five years. My first book, Four Dead Queens, comes out in spring 2019. Four Dead Queens is set in a nation ruled by four queens in which a teenage thief discovers that all queens have been brutally murdered and must team up with the messenger she stole from to figure out who did it. Wow. And she pitched it as Red Queen meets the girl on the train. I'd so read that. That's brilliant. Yes, so exciting. Congratulations, Astrid. That's just, you know, absolutely wonderful news. That's, yeah, brilliant. And, of course, Pitch Wars is actually conducted on Twitter. It's a Twitter um, hashtag and it's definitely worth having a look at if you are ready to pitch because it's um, just a whole bunch of agents and editors and all sorts of things and you basically you pitch them in a tweet and if they're interested they will follow you up to see more of what you've what you've written. So that's how um, Astrid got her agent. So definitely worth checking out that hashtag if you think you're ready to pitch your stuff. But, yeah, brilliant. Well done, Astrid. Congratulations. Yeah, well done, Astrid. That's so good, so good. So shall we move on to the world of writing and publishing this week? Oh, let's. I read a really cool link from the Globe and Mail in Canada and it's about how a Vancouver lawyer uses her daily bus commute to write prize-winning a, a prize-winning screenplay. Oh. So basically Kate Bond is a Vancouver lawyer and the mother of a young child and an aspiring writer. Now she's written 8 novels but 
has showed them pretty much to nobody. But then one day she decided to try her hand at screenwriting. And it says she was busy with a full-time job working as a litigator at the Federal Department of Justice. She had an 18-month-old son who wasn't always sleeping through the night and a husband who worked night shifts as a firefighter. But over the course of eight weeks, eight weeks, she wrote most of the first draft of a film script during her commute. So she would catch the bus uh, every day to and from uh, work and it was about 25 minutes each way and she would open up her computer and she made a little bit of a ritual out of it because she decided to sit in the same seat every day and just realize, open her computer and put herself into that space where she said she would be absolutely lost in this other world. Now, it obviously really worked because she won a $25,000 prize called the Daryl Duke Prize for up-and-coming Canadian film and television writers. And it's she decides she's taken that money and she's quit her full time job now so that wow. she can write full time. Now, wow. her screenplay, yeah, very wow. Her screenplay is called Trapline and it's the story of a 17 year old who decides to take over her dead grandfather's abandoned trapline in the remote Yukon wilderness. Things take a turn when she is joined by her recently paroled foster brother, the trapline's legal owner. Exciting. That's really exciting. And I guess it just goes to show you, I mean, she's knocked that out in eight weeks in Mm. less than an hour a day using Mm. the time that she has, which is the commute to work. Um, I'm amazed she can ride on a bus. I I don't. I can't actually write on public on buses. I can do trains because they're smoother, but that stop-start mm. thing on a bus. Yeah. But, yeah, wow. I mean, you know, that's dedication. And, look, it's paid off for her. So, you know, well done, Kate Bond. Yeah, well done. And a lot of people would actually think, you know, 25 minutes, it's not that long a commute. No. And really what could I get done? Because it's, it's just sort of like it, it's not like it's an hour where you can no. really, you think, yeah, I've really got to kill some time here. 25 minutes off. And people will just sit on the bus and stare out the window. But she's really made the most of it. She's not just staring out the window and she has, you know, written a, a, a screenplay that's earned her $25,000. Pretty good. Fantastic. Really, yeah, really if, good. If you're on a commute, use that time wisely, I would say. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to this. Was an interesting um, link from the right practice, and it's called the six documents you always need open as a writer. Now, even as I read that, I thought, "Oh my god, how distracting!" Mm. Because I would prefer to have as few documents open as possible. That's what I think in theory. Of course, reality is a little bit different. I've got you know Facebook and everything else open as well, which I shouldn't, but. Uh, they, uh, this article is saying that you should have these six documents open and it's quite interesting how they've broken this down. So one is your to-do list and that is literally, you know, write 30 minutes before lunch or whatever your, to-do, your writing to-do list is, right? Mm-hmm. Then, interestingly, they think that, they should ha- that you should have a distraction bucket Mm. which is slightly strange. Mm. So, you know, you you would just dump all your thoughts in there that aren't relevant to what you're writing at the moment. Okay. And then this is an interesting one too, words to use. 
And you don't often think of that, but I do remember when, you know, I was writing for, say, a teenage girls magazine, there was a list of teenage girls' words, you know what I mean? Which oh, we yes. needed to try and include in our articles here and there. So sometimes you might have some words to use that you can that you just love or that you that um, might give you inspiration or that you just, you know, like looking at <laughs> or like saying or whatever. Hmm. And another one is your darlings, as in the ones that you need to kill so that you are not afraid to kill them. You know, you can just cut them out of where you are, where you are and stuff them straight into the darlings um, document, knowing that they're safe for another day. So, which is interesting because I suppose if you didn't have that open, you're almost less inclined to kill them. Well, yes. I mean, I I don't have a document open to throw darlings into, but if I am deleting an entire section that I, you know, think might be useful at some point in something, I I open a document, put it in there. But I don't save it as darlings. I save it specifically to that book or project or whatever, you know. Well, it could be that book's darlings. Yeah. And another one she says is musings. Now, she says, musings is one of my favourite notes to open. The writing you put in here can be anything. The only requirement is that it's dreamy. When you're staring off into space, because all writers do, you'll see the glint in the window and the ray of sun poking through the dusty shade and you'll have to write about it. That's what she calls musings. Mm. And, of course, finally, the piece you're actually writing. (laughs) I was wondering (laughs) where we were going to get to that. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think this is distracting or a good idea? I think it's horribly distracting. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I'm just all about the one document open. Yes. Write the thing you're writing on. And um, all of those other things, you know, are things that I do probably do. I don't really have a list of words. Um, my distraction bucket is probably that email that I send myself every night before mm. I go to bed. But I just think, um, yeah, I like, I just think focus is really important when you're writing. So for me, it's just open a document, work on the document, um, write the words you need to write, close the document, move on with your life. Like it's, um, that's, but you know, we're all, look, as we've discussed endlessly, Mm. endlessly, when you think we're at 164 episodes, (laughs) you know, well, yeah, I mean, it's, but you, but you need to do, you need to do what you need to do. And mm. like, if what you need to do is have six documents open and, and move between those, depending on where your thoughts are at the time, um, then do that or, you know, learn Scrivener. Cause apparently you can do that in Scrivener quite easily. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, I just, I just think that it, that, we can talk endlessly about all the things that you need to write and all the things that, you know, all the software that can help you and all the documents that can help you and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the one document you need open is the piece you're writing, mm. whether that be in a notebook, whether that be on your screen, because unless you're adding words to the piece you're actually writing, you will never finish writing the piece that you're actually writing and getting to the end of it is the only way that you will ever know what you've even got. So, don't distract yourself with bells and whistles or distraction buckets or to-do lists or all of those things unless you really need that to actually, you know, work through the process. Some people, um, I remember we, I spoke to Diane Blacklock one day, you know, she writes mm. successful commercial fiction and she said, you know, to her writers are like dogs. You know how dogs sort of go to their basket and they have to like walk around a few times and mm. they need to sort of rearrange their position and, and then they sort of settle down with a big sigh 
and then that's them done for two hours and they won't move. Yes. Writers are a bit like that. Like you've got to have those little rituals or whatever it is that you do to walk around your basket before you settle in, um, mm. whatever those things may be. Uh, but just don't get yourself to the point where you've got so much going on that you're not actually getting the words down. Getting the words down is the key. It's, it's the key to everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. I mean, like, yes, everyone is different. And if this method works for you and try it, if you like, just to see if you like it, you never know if it's going to work for you or not, unless you try it. But for Mm. me, I do like fewer distractions. And just like that lady on the on the bus in Canada, she, you know, sat in the same seat. That was her ritual, like like going into the dog basket. But she yep. only had – she focused entirely on that script and she didn't have any other – oh, well, I'm, admittedly I'm assuming she didn't have any other documents open, but uh, it, from the sounds of the article she focused entirely on that script and she made sure that she made the best use of her time. Yeah, because um, if you focus on the script for 25 minutes solidly, you know, mm-hmm. you can write – probably average maybe 400 words or maybe mm. let's just say for, for so 400 words so each way so that's 800 words a day that she's mm. adding to her to her script you know on average mm. um you and once you start doing that and you start to see the progress of that it's like saving money it's like you know yes. the first couple of dollars you put in feels like such a waste of time but then you it starts to build and when it starts to build it gets interesting and it gets exciting and you start to feel like you're making some progress and you you're getting somewhere and that's when you've got that feeling behind you that momentum behind you it's so much easier to kind of keep going and it's the keeping on going that is going to get you to the end Absolutely. And of course, if you find it challenging to make time to write, then check out Alison's course, which is called How to Make Time to Write. So many fantastic practical tips in there. And uh, I have no doubt that if you go through it, you will be able to shift your mindset and be able to actually find time in your otherwise very busy life to write. So to find out more, go to writercenter.com.au slash time. That's writercenter.com.au slash time. Now let's move on to another link, which I think is pretty cool. It's called how to edit your story like a New York publisher. And this is from the right practice. Uh, And of course, we'll put the links to all of the uh, articles that we've mentioned in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. So how to edit your story like a New York publisher has 17 steps. We won't go through all 17. Wow, okay. (laughs) But uh, a few that I thought were good. Obviously, you need to write the story. (laughs) And then print the story out. I actually think this is a good idea. Too many people don't do that. They read on screen. But Mm. I think it's useful to print it out, to take it away from your computer where you're not distracted by other documents and Facebook and whatever, and go sit somewhere away from your computer with a pen. And one thing – and and – And you just get into a different mindset. You see it in a different light. And another one that I think is a really good one is read your story out loud. Too Mm. many people don't do that. Don't you think that that's a a cracker? Oh, it makes 
the biggest difference. I mm. went to Sydney recently to visit the Ashet offices, and while I was there, they asked me to read the first chapter of my new series, The Adaban Cipher, which is starting in September this year. They're doing a new project where they're getting authors to read a first chapter, and they're going oh. to put those online. So once it's up, I'll share it with you all so you can see me in all my glory mm. reading my first chapter. And it felt like it went on for about 50,000 years, but was actually <laughs> only you know seven or eight minutes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I was sight reading it because I hadn't, you know, obviously, and it was, it was also the un, uh, it's, it's, it was the, uh, before proof version or before copy edited version or something. Yes. But anyway, I'm reading this thing out loud and as I'm reading it out loud, I'm hearing in my head all the changes that I made when I did the copy edit because right. the, you can hear them, you can hear where things need to change. Yes. And I knew as I was going through, I knew that I had changed this and I had changed that and I had changed whatever, but I was only able to read obviously what was in front of me. Um, but I, it, reading a story out loud, it makes you, you can hear where the pacing is wrong. Because, you know, you can hear where it's like, oh, my God, is this bit's going on forever. I need to get rid of this, you know. You can hear where the pacing is wrong. You can hear where the boring bits are. And trust mm. me, kids don't like boring bits. So I read out loud to my children because they tell me where the boring bits are, which is always mm. very, very useful. Um, but you are can they, hear Does that- it surprise you, like, which bits they think are boring? Or do you go, yeah, it was a bit boring? No, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest because mm. I can hear it as I'm reading it to them and I can hear that because it, I, I think the boring bits where kids say, God, mum, really, um, <laughs> where, where the boring bits are for kids is where the pacing is wrong as a writer. So right. I've put too much emphasis on someone thinking, mm. you know, out loud, like wondering. There's a lot of wonder. In my first drafts, there's an awful lot of wondering often, mm. wonder, not wondering, but wondering. Mm. And, um, a lot of wondering because, uh, you know, my heroes are, you know, are reluctant heroes, generally speaking. So there's a lot of internal monologue going on and you don't necessarily need all of that internal monologue. What you need to do is to show what's happening. So that's where you have, you know, passive versus active. So if I show the thoughts rather than having blah, 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 yeah. um, then, you know, it's a much stronger story. Uh, and kids, kids pick up on it straight away. They know, you know, and you can tell yeah. also where you haven't explained enough. You know, you you can tell because they'll be they'll be like what 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 did, what 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 oh, do you know? they, yeah confused you know yeah so you get you get both of those things but you can hear it in your own voice and you mm. will know like you don't even have to read it to someone else like if you're you know if you're, if that kind of puts you off that's don't right. do that. Um, but if you read it aloud to yourself, you will yeah. hear it and it makes, and you can hear the clunky sentences. Um, and I always imagine for me, particularly writing middle grade, because sometimes parents read them to kids um, and mm. I can hear, like, so I'm reading to a child and I can hear where I'm stumbling over words because yes. the sentence is not right. It needs to be, um, you know, simplified or clarified or something, you know. Uh, so, yes, I, I'm all for it. Read your story out loud. It, and it doesn't matter if you're writing for adults or for children, read it out loud because you can also hear the other you know, absolute clunker is the dialogue. Yes. Um, if you read it out loud, you will hear where the dialogue is just not right doesn't the the flow of it is not right the rhythm of it is not right Mm. you will hear it so read it out loud yeah absolutely and reading it out loud does not mean reading it under your breath 
because it's it's too easy to gloss over things when you're reading under your breath. Like if you're at a cafe and you think, oh, I'll just read it out loud, but I'll just read it really softly. Yeah. No, just don't be in the cafe. Just wait till you're at home or whatever so you're not self-conscious and actually read it out loud. I think that's actually one of the the, the best tips in this list. Yeah, and I actually go, so the, the thing to do too is do it actively. So just so you don't feel like an idiot. You're not just mm. going to sit there and read it to yourself. Have a pencil in your hand and mark yes. it up as you go. You know, put the things on and, and, and make the changes as you go. Oh, that sounds terrible. Cross that mm. out. Do whatever. And then so that gives you, when you go back to your uh, to, to your desk with your actual um, manuscript in your hand, you're like, oh, okay, I've got to look at that because, look, I've marked that up. So what does that mean? Where am I going? You know, so it, 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 make it active. Like don't just sit yes, there and read it out loud and then think I'm going to go right back to the start and fix this now. Mm. Mark it up as you go. And my biggest tip on that one is when you actually mark it up, don't just put a cross or a circle or whatever and think you're going to remember what was wrong. Actually write down what was wrong because this is my problem all the time. Anything where I just write one word thinking, yeah, that'll jog my memory, it never jogs my memory. No, no, no. Write the whole thing. And you know what? I also, this is where I I, I corner them, mark it on post-it notes because if I make a mark on a page, no matter how small, whether it's a full stop, whatever, I put a post-it note on it so that when I do go back through the manuscript, um, I don't miss anything. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, there's something on this page I need to change and I don't know what it is. And then I'll notice, you know, down, right down the bottom that I've just, mm. I've moved a comma or I've changed a full stop or whatever. So yep. post-it note will show you where every change is. It will also show you exactly how much work you have to do, which yes. for me is generally quite a lot. Yeah. And a tip on post-it notes. <laughs> oh, Buy the proper 3M post-it notes. Do not go to the $2 shop as I did because I was cheap and I'd bought the post-it notes from there and they, I've used them and they just all fall off. Yeah. So buy the proper post-it notes. I bought expensive post-it notes that weren't the 3M post-it notes that were like that though. I was so fell off. Well, they were pretty ones, you know, someone, I I bought pretty ones for some reason. Why? But that's silly. You should just buy the 3M ones. I know, and I learned my lesson when all of the post-it, the pretty post-it notes all fell off and I had to start, mm. you know, go, oh, so boring. But anyway. <laughs> Anywho. All right, let's move on to our giveaway this week. This is so exciting. Now, as we know, in May, Mother's Day is coming up. So yes. we have a wonderful Mother's Day book pack with seven books. Ooh. Now, the thing with this is that if you enter the competition, you will get your prize before Mother's Day. Oh, perfect. So you can give this to your mum, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So the competition closes on the 1st of May. So make sure you get in quick because uh, so that um, we can uh, finish the competition, announce the winner and send you your prize before Mother's Day so you can potentially give it to your mother or keep it for yourself if you want. So the Mother's Day book pack includes seven books and they include Redeemable, A Memoir of Darkness and Hope by Irwin James, Police and uh, sorry, police at the station, and they don't look friendly. By Adrian McKinty, which is fantastic. If yes. your mum likes crime, she will love that one. Trust me. Yes, I hate the internet by Jarrett Kobeck, and we spoke to Jarrett not long ago. Yep. Lincoln in the Bardo by George Sanders. Storm and Grace by Catherine Heyman. Third Time Lucky by Carly Lane and Their Brilliant Careers, The Fantastic Lives of 16 Extraordinary Australian Writers by Ryan O'Neill. 
So you enter at writerscentercomau slash win. That's writerscentercomau slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular five-week online course in copywriting essentials will teach you how to turn your writing skills into a weapon of mass persuasion. Learn the seven steps to creating compelling copy, how to take a creative brief, the secrets of SEO and much more so you can begin earning good money immediately. Learn online from wherever you are and get your own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash essentials. Are you ready for the word of the week, Al? So ready, Val. Just <laughs> so ready. I'm always ready. I was born ready. <laughs> All right. Have you heard of this word? Bombalate. B-O-M-B-I-L-A-T-E, bombalate. No. Is it related to bombastic, which is a cracker as far as I'm concerned? No. (laughs) It means to buzz or hum. So you might say the alarm kept on bombalating. (laughs) Well, I can't imagine anyone actually saying that. Like really, (laughs) at the end of the day... Oh, my Lord, that alarm is bombolating. Bombolating. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Yeah, like, exactly. Really? Well, you might or a character in your novel might if you're trying no. to, you know, paint a certain picture of that character. But I think that's a cool word, bombolate. I think I could use this one to describe my – I might actually change my second – my youngest son's name to bombolate because this is pretty much what he does all the time. What, he's buzz a, or hum? He's like a buzzing, humming noise machine, that kid. Really? He, he, he just like, he hums with energy. He never stops moving that and he never stops or? talking. Just all the things. He's just, yeah, humming, really? any kind of noise. He just, he'll just sit there and he'll just make noise for the sake of it, honestly. Wow, He's so just, then there's Book Boy and Bombolating Boy. Book Boy and Bombolating Boy. Poor, <laughs> but serious, <laughs> like you actually don't want to go through life called Bombolating Boy, do you? Like it's, <laughs> it's kind of sounds slightly rude. <laughs> Let's All right, so that. there you go. If you use it, uh, if you use the word of the week in one of your blog posts, then do let us know. We'd love to have a look. All yes. right, so who is our writer in residence this week? Oh, this week we are talking to the divine Stephanie Darling. Um, so Stephanie Darling is a she's the uh, beauty. Uh, editor writer at um, Fairfax at the moment but we go a long long way back uh, mm-hmm. we have known each other since we both worked at Vogue back in the day Vogue Australia uh, and she's a fabulous 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 creature it's the only way to describe her really but the, the thing I love about her is that she's fabulous obviously mm-hmm. but she's she, her background is sub-editing like we we both met we met as sub-editors so she has got this very strong um She's a real wordsmith, you know. She's headlines and captions and, and, and you know, all of the things. Mm. So she has this fabulousness that is totally underpinned by a, a real solid grasp of, of, all, of all the words. And um, we, uh, you know, I remember when we used to work at Vogue together, we would have the most hilarious conversations about um, we'd be, you know, working on a hair story and it's like how many words do you know for hair because <laughs> – 
Well, you cannot use, you know, brush your hair, you know, comb your hair. You can't use hair over and over again. So then you end up, you end up with tresses and you end up with, you know, all sorts of different things. So um, anyway, she has a new book that's coming out, her first book, and uh, which is, I think, out as we speak. And we had a, a terrific conversation about the writing of that book and just what it's like to be a beauty writer. And she's constantly experimenting on herself. She does the weirdest stuff to herself. And so uh, we had a little chat about that as well, but it was, it was a lot of fun. So I hope you guys enjoy it. One of Australia's most accomplished beauty journalists, Stephanie Darling, has travelled the world interviewing celebrities, trialling new treatments and testing the hottest designer products. Her first book, Secrets of a Beauty Queen, is out now through Penguin Random House. Welcome to the program, Stephanie. Thank you, Alison. It's an honour to be here. (laughs) Now, full disclosure for our listeners, uh, Stephanie and I worked together, shared a sub-editing desk back at Vogue Australia in the day. Um, So we do know each other quite well. So if there's giggling, um, I take full responsibility for said giggling. (laughs) All right. Okay. So Steph, your book, Secrets of a Beauty Queen is part memoir, part beauty tips, part insider's look at the beauty industry. How did you come to write the book? Well, Al, I was interesting. I, you know, like a lot of us, I I always thought I had a book in me. And lo and behold, when the magazine I was working on, Madison, got axed, um, it, it was a bit of a sort of litmus and jump off point for me and I always was very sort of fond of Nora Ephron not that I'm in her league by any stretch but her book Heartburn where she talks about her life with Carl and Watergate and things and then peppered throughout the book were reci- actual recipes and I just thought oh my god that's such a great idea so it's almost like two books in one there's the autobiographical element with crazy stories that would turn your hair and then at the end of each chapter, I relate that back to sort of the age I was. So when I started at Vogue, it was beauty in my 20s, 30s. There's a chapter on bought my son. So everybody, no one escapes. They're all dragged in there kicking and screaming. <laughs> so when, so it's a really interesting structure and it's a great way to sort of deliver a narrative like that because you are, as you say, sort of beauty in your 20s, beauty in your 30s. So there's someone, something in mm-hmm. there, tips in there for everyone at that age now, everyone. but you're telling a story at yep. the same time. So did you, was that something that organically came about or did you go into the book thinking that that was how you were going to structure it? I think I always thought, and in fact, when I met with my editor at Penguin when they, before they signed me, and they were looking at sort of the draft. They were like, um, Steph, this is on those two, two books. And I'm like, hey, people, no, it's fine. It's going to be one book because I just, just the energy that it takes to even do this little baby. And it was quite episodic. Like I had some advice that maybe it should be a little more woven in. But I think the chapters work really well because it's not like a magazine, but there are sort of elements of magazine a magazine approach in the way it's written, particularly with the tips. Yes. Um, and just, yeah, and it was so beautifully edited by my editor, Sarah Fairhall, who works, was working with fiction at the time, and she just did the most amazing job of rejigging it, only slightly, I might add. Oh, of course. It was probably but, um, first yeah, draft of course, perfect, yes. of course, yes. Um, <laughs> so you do actually mention uh, products in the book. Um, is that w- yep. is that when you're doing something like a, a beauty book, given how quickly things change and how quickly things move on, were you quite conscious of choosing products that would stay the distance, that are that are still going to be there in two years' time, that are sort of classics 
of their type? Is that what you? Is that how you worked that? I did, and it's quite funny that you say that because my top 100 products at the end of the book, I tried to be really aware of that, and when the last edit came through, I did sort of shuffle around a couple of things. But um, I think the majority, probably 98%, will still be around, hopefully, in sort of, you know, five years' time, and certainly all the fragrances and all the, you know, the Touche Clare and Beauty Flash Balm, all those oldies, but there are some also really kind of insightful, like groundbreaking new products in there too. So there's, and there's just so much for, I don't know, there's so much detail. That's what another one colleague of mine said who's pretty hardcore. She doesn't give many compliments. And I was just like, oh, my God, she's very, very complimentary about the book. And, oh. and she's sort of, you know, talking from a professional point of view. Well, that's interesting because, of course, you did begin your magazine career as a sub-editor, which is all about detail, which is all about, you know, not, you know, keep yeah. making sure that the reader gets the message in the clearest possible way. Yes. It's a real wordsmith's yes. job. So, you know, how did you go from that to, to beauty editor? And what do you think your training as a sub-editor actually brings to your writing even now? Look, I, I think you can, it's immeasurable. It's such a sort of innate skill and I when I first um, started at Vogue when I was 23 that was, I was taken on as a trainee sub and I think I was the last you know trainee sub that they ever took on and it was it was usually like it was a baptism of fire but it was a good baptism of fire because those women were just so accurate and you know it was hot metal in those days so mistakes if you made them were sort of pretty labor intensive to correct mm. And I just think I got a reputation as being very good at cutting people's copy without losing the flavour. And I think to be a good sub-editor, that is so crucial because if you've ever been on the other end of the tool sometimes mm. and, it's, it's, and you can lose your whole essence and someone else's essence can sort of creep in there. But I think I was always very aware of that and um, I think that stood me in really good stead and made me probably the writer I am today. How can I even say that? The writer I am today. Well, it's true though, isn't it? And I think, um, you know, you and I have both been sub-editors and if we are, of course, incredibly um, grateful for that, we should probably explain a little bit what a sub-editor does in case people don't know. But it's essentially uh, taking Mm. the copy as it comes in, in raw form, um, bringing it into the magazine's style, adding headlines, introductions, uh, cutting the copy to fit a page if if the page is... Uh, if the layout of the magazine has been set, um, and then it's proofreading and and doing all those other things to make sure that the detail, writing the captions, making sure that the the detail of the mag- of the story remains, the voice of the person who wrote the story remains, but that it's brought into the overall house style of the magazine as well. So it's an incredibly That's very inf- well said. Oh, thanks. See, I am a sub editor. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's an incredibly invaluable uh, training ground for learning how to work with words and how to work with them in confined spaces. Because essentially, you would be given, all right, we need this copy to actually fit this one page, and off you'd go and have mm. to make it work. Um, but going on from that, though, you, you've then you know launched into into being a beauty editor, which is a, obviously a highly coveted yeah. job. What do you think is the most misunderstood misunderstood aspect of beauty writing as a whole? Um, I think, and sort of now because of all the vloggers and the bloggers who've come in, who've made the mark, who've made the area a very interesting space. But, mm. you know, back in the day, it, you were 
you know, been trained, like I've got a Bachelor of Arts degree, so my English skills are hopefully reasonably good. Mm. Um, but it's a very, it's editorial, it's knowing how to write. It's not just about putting on lipstick or mascara or eyeliner. Like I still struggle with eyeliner. <laughs> so it's having a real, <laughs> too, I promise you, it's having a passion that and getting immersed in it but also sort of a love of you know crafting different ways of saying things because with beauty it's like the little black dress you have to write about you know the reinvention of red lipstick you know the way the you know ready to wear and couture shows like rework it like it's it's there's a lot that goes into understanding it it's so multi-layered well, it's interesting you say that because one of the questions I did want to ask you is, and I, and I know this from just my own work in uh, in magazines, is that you mm. you're often writing the same story, aren't you? Like in the sense that yeah. you every yeah. year you're probably going to do a story on mascaras, you're probably going to do a hair. Oh, the hair stories were my favourite. Having to come up with eighteen thousand oh. different words for hair. You um, know that <laughs> that sells magazines. People are obsessed with hair. Like I know, obsessed. I know. It's just yep. not, it's not easy to write about it without repeating the word hair fifty times. So and you know, <laughs> where do you? How do you? Um, so you know, what the the key here is going to be the angle of your story, as it is the key for every mm. feature story. Like every feature story that you write, the key is yes. to the yes. to getting it into the magazine and to getting it right is the angle of the story. So where do you look when you're thinking? I've got to write this year's summer hair story. What are you thinking yeah. as far as how am I going to make this a new angle? Where do you look for inspiration? Well, funnily enough, because um, for me, beauty is very personal and I've always had a voice with beauty because I think people like to relate back and I hence hopefully the book will resonate with people. Mm. But um, I, and now that I'm doing digital as well, I do a lot of stuff like I had my hair like blonde at a block colour. I call it mink blonde. Mm. And now I'm sort of struggling trying to make it look smooth and reasonably glamorous. <laughs> so I will, like I'll talk about what happened to me and um, and I often draw on personal things. So there's always a little personal like skew, I drag my sons into treatment so to give a bit of a different angle, you know, so that the men kind of have access through Sunday life. And funnily enough, I go, my husband's a member of this very proper old men's club and um, sometimes women are allowed in there. Ha-ha. But anyway, so, and the men, they go, so what are, what are you writing about this week? Like, we love reading your copies. <laughs> really? It's, and it's that very, like, getting into your soul and being very honest with people. And the beauty about working at Fairfax, it, it is about honesty. Like, it's really truth and sentencing. So people pick you up on stuff. I get letters all the time of people, you know, asking me questions. And, and I really like engaging with the reader. And you've always got to remember that's who you're writing for. Okay. Well, I read your column in Sunday Life and I have a giggle because, you know, every week you're Thank throwing you. – Well, I do because you're, every week you're throwing yourself on the altar of beauty experimentation and I think to myself, what could she possibly do to herself this week? Um, do you ever have weeks where you think, I just don't know if I can face another facial? Like, do you ever have weeks where you think, do I really have to go and have the liposuction? You know, like what uh, – when you're taking such a personal tack, it, it must get wearing sometimes. You know what? Weirdly, it didn't. I've, um, I'm just working on my 175th test drive since I've been at Sunday Life. And that's not even to mention the ones that I did, you know, back in the day. Wow. But um, I, I never do because, you know what, Al, you get out there and you meet new people and you find out new, new techniques and, and you could be, you know, hopefully first 
in print with something that never, no one sort of ever heard of before. Like I did this crazy equine therapy up in Guingana and it was so traumatising. But and everyone was like, oh, my God, I love that. But the reader always likes it when there's a bit of pain involved, unfortunately. <laughs> Sometimes they write in, they go, oh, enough of the facial. <laughs> I'm like, all right. So off you go to have some painful thing done to yourself. I've had my toes lengthened or, no, I haven't done that. But, you know, it's just there are so many random procedures out there. But, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it is I, – I never tire of it. I – I know that sounds weird, but and also I hopefully look. It hopefully reflects in the fact that my skin's an okay nick, and I'm still don't look quite as ancient as I actually am. <laughs> that you look fabulous. That's <laughs> oh, very interesting. Now it's interesting that you bring up like because with Fairfax, it is very much a um, you know it's a it's a. Uh, objective territory you're definitely like you're you're telling it exactly mm. as it is with honesty um because yes. with uh, magazines often there's a very strong relationship between beauty and advertising which i would imagine can sometimes be quite difficult to it's a very fine t- tight ropey kind of walk to to have to take isn't it is that something that you enjoy about your new role in the sense that you do get to just test drive these things and say exactly what you think of them yes but just also sort of referring back to magazines because I'm so old school. When I first worked at Vogue, you know, back in the late 1800s, <laughs> um, there, we, that was how it ran. Like you, yeah. you, editorial was, was king and advertisers came in purely on the back of the fact that it was Vogue, which yeah. was like, so that has always been at the back of my mind. And, you know, with, you know, advertisers. Everybody has like amazing products. That's the beautiful thing about beauty. With fashion, yeah. you've got one garment. With beauty, you've got so many skews and interesting. Like, yeah. you know, people bring out fifty products. You know, every four and a half seconds. Um, but the, with Fairfax um, and with my test drive, um, I'm always honest, yeah. but always in an upbeat way. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and not because I'm so careful about selecting what I'm going to do. I yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't knowingly put myself at risk. No, I might laugh at that <laughs> proposition. <but. laughs> so I can imagine that the pressure to look good, because it is a job in which you know it's it's about the immaculate presentation at all times. Does that kind of get exhausting mm. sometimes? Do you? I mean, are you even address the pressure sort of of aging in your book, which I think is a fantastic one of the fantastic aspects about it. But do you sometimes wish you could just chuck it all in and flop about in tracksuit pants all day? She asks well, as one who does. Well, thank God there's no camera here because I'm sitting at my home <laughs> desk in my in my very smart running gear. I hasten to active wear. <laughs> active wear, but you know what my theory always was with. Even before I started in magazines, I would always try and whatever, look my best or whatever, in case I run into an old boyfriend. Like, seriously, that's the one day when you're in the painting gear. I am married, by the way. But, you know, you run into someone who you wish you had lipstick on or, you know, (laughs) mascara. So that's Um, always been my overriding premise. I love it. Okay. I go out every day expecting to run into an (laughs) ex-boyfriend. No, no, I didn't (laughs) You're twisting my words, lady. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm putting them back in context. Prepare oneself. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, always be prepared. Always yeah. be prepared. 
So, okay, yes. so what are the three questions? I mean, I, I would imagine that you're probably like, um, it would be a little bit like being a doctor. You go to dinner parties and everybody wants to talk to you about their beauty issues or their beauty questions or whatever it is that they have. Mm. What are the three questions that you're most often asked as a beauty editor, fabulous? Um, people always want to know, you know, what product like not hard, what product should you all use? And I'm like so rabid about this because we live in this crazy dangerous country with, you know, terrible UV, always an SPF 50 plus, either in a sunscreen or in a moisturiser every day, decolletage, face, back of the hands, because, you know, we just are so much older looking than our European sisters. Mm. So that, if people ask me what's the one product, it would be SPF 50 plus or the highest SPF you know, SPF can get your hands on. Um, what outlandish procedures I'm going to have next? <laughs> That's a favourite. The men aren't like to ask that, which is kind of cute. Um, and what else? Um, that's funny. That like they're really sort of they're the the, and ones. sort of what what's coming, what's up and coming. So what- which is quite interesting because a lot of what's going on now is reformulating formulas that you know, work well, say it's a retinol product. Ah. People reformulate rather than sort of smashing through with new stuff. And I don't know whether that's because of the way the economy is sitting at the moment. Um, and that, I'm sure that there are things in R&D, but it's, it's interesting. And, and, you know, the formulas that exist a bit like we talked about in the book, like they're really strong formulas, but you know, can often do with a little tweak. So why would you throw out the baby with the bathwater? So, yeah, I'm often referring to products that are, you know, really good and in existence now. Okay. Um, so just on that, what are you doing next? What is yeah. your next experimental beauty thing? Oh, next, okay, I'm going to do cryo, cryogenics, which <gasps> I think is it's not that new, but it's new. They've sort of, sort of reinvigorated and a lot of the football players I think use it to help with muscle, regenerating muscle fatigue and things and you basically pop into a little box with your head out and they put nitrous, sort of minus 30 degrees, oh, I don't know, nitrogen or something and they can freeze you up for two or three minutes. Hopefully I don't have a heart attack. They're going to freeze you and you're actually willingly yeah, signing up for well, I think a lot of people, other colleagues of mine have survived, so I've gone, okay, I'll tick, tick to that. But it's really because what I try and do is, like, pepper some stuff in there that's unusual. That is unusual. And I'm going to, I want to do an acupuncture too and just, and I really try, like, sometimes I will do an eating plan, something that a little bit of health comes in there. Yeah. On occasion, but just to kind of try, keep it fresh and, as I said, test drive, getting the boys to test drive, which is hilarious. Well, I would imagine it would be. Are they are they yeah. eagerly signing up to test drive, or are they running oh, a mile when they yeah. see you coming? No. Well, number one, Harrison is like the teeth whitening king of his in London now, so he's really missing his pop <laughs> up with his teeth whitening. A friend of his, he he met a friend, and the guy was so dazzled. This is such a funny story. We won't mention it, but he was so dazzled by Harrison's teeth. Because you know, boys are worse than us, really. They're at the gym, but he. Apparently his mother still pays for his dental work. So do I for mine. But he went home. He went for his dental appointment and got his dentist to do a nine hundred dollar procedure on his teeth. And came home and was like, "Mom, look at my teeth. They're amazing." And she was like, "What the?" She <laughs> told me the story. And it, it's so crazy. So it's all about word of mouth. 
it's all and your fault. Why, I think that's why it's effective and why people, you know, get if they after they've read the test drive. Look, you know, quite a few people do take their <laughs> health in their hands and risk some of these procedures. But Goodness no, it's all me. good. All right, we'll, we'll look, be looking out for the cryo. That'll be fun. Now, looking um, out for the cryo, exactly. <laughs> so with the new book coming out, um, have you had to yes. concentrate on building a profile that's sort of outside your byline through social media and things like that? Have you actively gone out of your way to sort of like um, create Stephanie Darling author as opposed to Stephanie Darling byline on a page in Fairfax? Mm, no, not exactly, but I... Because I have an Instagram and I hasten to add all my followers are real people, I mm. think. Um, <laughs> um, I sort of meld it. Right. Yeah, and so I do, um, and obviously Penguin are promote, doing some promotional stuff with me, but it's still very much, because my Instagram's open to anyone and there's quite a lot of personal stuff in there, which I think people quite, sometimes it's a bit, <laughs> it's a picture of, anyway. You can have a look a bit later. But um, hmm. I, someone said, oh, you should have a professional one and this and that. And I'm like, I don't know. I think that's what people like about the, hopefully the book and my column is that it is quite personal. Like what you see is what you get. I'm willing to talk to anyone, answer anyone's questions. So I think they sort of kind of think it's quite humorous seeing the boys in strange positions. And <laughs> yes, well, I certainly enjoy it. But <laughs> <laughs> is, is Instagram your fa- – would you say that's your favourite platform? Is that the one that you sort of naturally tend to? Uh, oh, great. Yes. And what do you like about yes. it? I love it that you take a picture and then you write a caption. And as you and I know, Al, captions are our thing. Yes. It was funny when they first, uh, when I first thought about the book and I went to talk with Penguin, they said, right, okay, 80,000 words. And I'm like, People, I write extended captions, 500 words a month. <laughs> so, like for me, it was that was a mind-altering exercise. And so, the actual writing um, process of the book was a was a was it was a sort of a big was it an uphill battle for you having to reassess your whole kind of approach? It, yeah, it sort of. I can't. Yeah, I I didn't. Love the process. I loved finishing each chapter, which is a bit like the whole subbing deadline thing, I think, that is so ingrained in me. I love finishing the chapter and thinking it was okay and then getting people to read it and getting feedback. But physically, I got to chapter five and I got stuck and then my husband took me away on a cruise. It was a cool cruise, though. It was, yeah, a voyage, let's call it. Um, And I finished the book, 14 sea days. I, I just, I smashed it. I had to write five chapters because I just thought, my God, I'm never going to make a deadline if I don't do this. So um, it was a bit of a challenge, but I'm so proud that it's finished and I can actually touch it and it's about to launch. I know. And how long did it actually... Imposter syndrome. <laughs> how long, yeah. How long did it take you to write it, do you think, overall? Like how long did it take you to get that first draft out in total, not just on it, the cruise but the rest of it as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. It took um, eight, about eight and a half months. Okay. And do you think it was just the size of the project? That, like, just that not that idea of having eighty thousand words to write was that what kind of like slowed you down? Do you think? Because it is a different way to think um, about writing, isn't it? How dare you? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Some well, other you people just said I've you thought it was difficult. Said, oh, you sh- <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but some other people said, oh, you're a first-time author. You should have had a year to write that book. But, you know, the funny thing is if I'd had a, re- a year, I would it would have taken me like 18 months. Yes. Um, I think, um, yeah, and it was just because I had work on my other work. Yes, So I was course. trying to fit it in and trying to lock a week, you know, go and we've got a farm in Sutton Forest, just write, try and get in and write it had sort of chunks of time to do it. Yeah, so you were finding that you needed chunks of time to get your head into the right I, space yes, for it. Yeah, yes, okay. Because yes, different people have not, different approaches yes. to, to getting it done. And did you did you have mm. the whole thing planned out in advance before you started or did you sort of like... Yeah. Yeah, okay. I didn't. And rather like a silly billy, I thought that that was all the work. I was like, yeah, I've got the sample chapter. They love that. I've got the, you know, little pricey for the other nine chapters. I'm done here. And I was like, oh, mate, no, 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 no. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, But I did have it planned, which was just gold. Because I think that, for, for me anyway, knowing that I had the structure there, again, kind of a subbing yeah. journalistic sort of thing, yeah. that I did think that I could do it. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, well, and just to finish up today, what are your yes. top three tips for aspiring beauty writers? Journals. All right, well, in the first, yes, firstly, um, you've got to love that whole thing of the hair, the fragrance. There are so many, like, interesting and sort of intricate levels and layers um so yeah an innate love of reading beauty books or you know even reading perfume um just sort of because when I started out I wasn't like a real beauty aficionado but I've just become this like beast I'm like the empress (laughs) um and so yeah get get immersed read my book obviously um, and with your writing, just keep writing and try and write how you would speak. I think that's probably, I can't remember who imparted, maybe even Marion Hume might have imparted that, but just it, the way you talk and have a conversational style because yeah. certainly with the way digital's going, it's all about that quick, fast stuff where you don't have time to you know, necessarily structure things in a you know, laborious sort of way. It, it is all about grabbing people in a quick space because the landscape's changed so dramatically that people are right, have to learn to write very differently. Yeah. Is that three? Is that three? I think it is. <laughs> I think I said keep writing, keep reading and experiment with products. There you go. <laughs> there you Perfect. Go. <laughs> Thank you very much. I was listening, but I was so interested in what you were saying. I lost track. All right. Feel well, like me. I was like, what was the question? Yeah, what no. was the question? We're, we're doing so well. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Stephanie Darling, and best of luck with your book, Secrets of a Beauty Queen, which is out now through Penguin Random House in Australia. And Stephanie, if people want to um, follow your fabulous Instagram and uh, catch up with you on a daily basis, what is your Instagram handle so that they can find you? Um, thank you, Al. It's Mrs. S. Darling. Fantastic. All right. And I'll put that in the show notes. And um, we, uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. And best of luck. And keep being fabulous. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. It was lovely to talk to you. Okay, Stephanie, darling. Wow. I mean, God, remember the days of the beauty cupboard at Cleo? It's oh, just, yeah. oh, just. I remember. That, I remember it fondly. Fondly. <laughs> I-
I really do. And you used um, to have those beauty grabs. Yeah, you where you just those? go along and take whatever you wanted. Yeah. And you'd end up home with like $600 worth of, you know, cosmetics and things. And my, my cupboards and, uh, and bathroom were just full of stuff. I had just yeah. had so much stuff. And like at the end of the day, how much stuff do I use? I don't use much stuff. I'm not and a, we I'm weren't not even the beauty editors and we had so much stuff. I know. Like imagine how much stuff the beauty editors had. I know, it's crazy. But look, I think the conversation where we talked about the difference between writing those shorter pieces that she's used to writing and having to actually knuckle down and get this book written Mm. um, was really quite interesting because it is a – totally different process it's a completely different way of thinking and um you know trying to get that narrative right and all of those sorts of things and and you know as I said she is quite fabulous so the notion that she would just take herself off on a cruise to finish the book I was just how cool is that I'd like to take myself off on a cruise so Stephanie so Stephanie I just love it and you know (laughs) she really does you know she she walks the walk as well as talking the talk I mean you only have to listen to some of those crazy treatments that she's put herself through to, to yeah, know that insane. I know. Insane. Yes. Anyway. anyway, fantastic. All right. So now I understand that this coming week you're doing something pretty interesting that is very similar to um, the, the mentoring that you do for authors on how to build their profile, but uh, it is for your son. Oh, it's a it's a pretty fascinating thing that I've I've got myself involved in here. But um, so as we've discussed in the last couple of um, couple of episodes, people may well be sick of me talking about this. But uh, so Book Boy has got, apparently got himself a music career. All of so a sudden, he's not just into books. He's no, he doesn't just music, read. Book and he music now, boy. yeah, he writes and sings songs, mm-hmm. and he's now doing gigs. And you know, mm-hmm. and he anyway, he's got a radio interview coming up it's going to be quite a lengthy interview and he has to go to the studio and he's going to play a few songs and he's going to have a bit of a chat and all of these things all of which would be daunting enough if you were you know 30 yeah he's 13 years old and anyone who's met a 13 year old boy would know that small talk is not really you know on the agenda at any given time so we got this request and and uh, I said to him uh, you know, do you want to do this? And he said to me, he was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And I said, well, you know you're going to have to actually speak, don't you? Mm. And he goes, yeah, I'll be all right. And I said, well, I think we need to have a little practice. So we sat down and I was running him through some practice questions. They're going to ask you things like, you know, mm. who are your influences? And he rattled off an answer. And I said, you know, where do you, you, know, where do you get the inspiration for your songs? And he rattled off an answer. Mm. And um, I thought, all right, well, this might be okay. But then I, it occurred to me uh, mm. that this is something that um, – most young musicians don't really know about. And uh, he's part of a very, very interesting project that's taking place down here um, on the South Coast, which is called the Young Coasties Songwriting Project. He's got himself attached to that. Uh, So there's like, I think it's 15 groups, um, but it's around 30 young musicians. I think the oldest of them is 25 and the youngest is Book Boy at 13. And they're all, they're putting together an album and they're writing songs and they've got mentors and they're doing all of these things. And uh, as I was taking him through these questions, it occurred to me that all of these other kids um, probably don't have this experience either and probably don't have a mum who regularly interviews people to ask them the questions and to talk them through the answers and to say to them, you need to have five things that you want to say and you need to just answer the question with those things and you need to, you know, to do all that stuff. Uh, So now I'm (laughs) – so now 
because I can't mm. help myself. Mm. I'm going to be interviewing all of these kids mm. uh, in a 10-minute interview just to give them a practice run as and, and to take them through it. And I think that if you um, are an aspiring author – uh, and you, you know, this is something that you should get someone to do for you. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be someone who's regularly interviewing people like I am. But it just, you need to think yeah. about if you've, if you've been asked to do an interview before you go, think about who it is that is, that is interviewing you. If it's a local radio station or if it's a newspaper or, you know, whatever, who is the audience for that interview? Who's going yeah. to be listening to you? What are the kinds of things that that audience is going to be interested in hearing from you? Um, because at the end of the day, a local radio station, the audience is probably not that interested in hearing chapter and verse on every song that you've ever heard that has influenced your music and how you use Bob Dylan's, you know, vocal rhythms to inspire your lyrics and things like that. They're not that interested in that, but they're possibly, um, they're, they're probably going to be more interested in where you go to school and and, you know, how did you come to be 13 and writing songs and stuff like that? Mm. Um, but you need to think a little bit about the kinds of questions that you might be answered, uh, sorry, might be asked. So have a have a little bit of a, um, a listen to that particular radio station, to some of the interviews that they might have done. Because the other thing is that, of course, most places will now, if it's an article, then there's going to be a, a version of it online somewhere that you're going to, you know, like you'll be able to have a look at the, at the journalist's work to see the kinds of questions that they're going to ask you. Um, but if it's a radio station, most of them now podcast a lot of their interviews. So you will be able to listen to the interview to the interviewer and have a little listen to the kinds of questions that they're likely to. I mean, the, the key to the whole thing is to go in prepared with some answers. Yeah. To something, be like a politician. Go in with prepared with some answers, and if they ask you a question, you basically repeat the question, and then you work it around to one of your prepared answers, so that you're not sort of caught short, and you're not umming and ahhing, and you're not—I don't know how to answer that. Um, so that you've actually got the message that you want to deliver, and that you're able to deliver it um, in the shortest possible time. Yeah, so that's absolutely. what I'm doing with thirteen-year-olds. <laughs> Wow. But I think that's such a great exercise for them to learn uh, that they need to have those messages thought out beforehand because both you and I have interviewed many authors, not just for this podcast, but just for, you know, articles that we've written generally. And mm. it's easy. I, I've recognized that it's easy sometimes for the um, author to run away on a particular tangent that actually has nothing to do with their book and they forget to even mention their book sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just you don't want to get to the point. You want to try and keep your answers as concise as possible because the ramble is 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 where you're always gonna you're gonna lose your thread. You're yes. gonna forget where you are. You're gonna forget what the question was. You know, you've got to basically you've got to have that question in your head the whole time. And I think the interesting thing too, Val, is that it is there's as, almost as much skill in being interviewed as there is in interviewing. Um, yes. it's, you know, you, you, you have to remember where you are and who you're talking to all the time. And, yeah. you know, there's that professional level that it's, it's always, you know, and a lot of, a lot of interviews are very conversational and that's a lovely, lovely thing, but you must always, always remember that you're not just having a chat to a friend. You are there yes. representing yourself on a professional level at all times. Yeah. And um, I remember because also sometimes you need to um, 
you can go off on a ramble, but sometimes the journalist, the person interviewing you, can actually be taking you off on a different direction, a direction they find more interesting. But yeah. that doesn't give you an opportunity to showcase that book, your book. So I think it's okay to sort of head in that general direction, of course, because that's where they want to go, but to remember to somehow weave your book into it or bring it back to your book. Yeah, all the um, time. And, and that's very, very important. I, rem- I remember being on Sunrise once and it, because I had written a, a career book and they had me on Sunrise to talk about trends in careers and stuff like that. But about halfway through or, you know, three quarters through the interview, I realised they hadn't even mentioned my book once yet. Uh-huh. And so I thought, well, I really need to work it in. So it, it's also being aware because sometimes when you are being interviewed, you just focus so much on trying to give a good answer that yeah. you forget and that it's about promoting it. your book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, Alison is full of these awesome, awesome tips, especially in her course, How to Build Your Author Platform, which I think is vital for any emerging author or aspiring author and something you should start thinking about and start planning well before your book is out. And if you want to check that out, go to writercenter.com.au slash platform. That's writercenter.com.au slash platform. All right. That brings us almost to the end of this week's episode. Al, what have you got coming up? Uh, school holidays, Val. Yes, of course, more school holidays. <laughs> uh, no, that's not that, that's not all I got coming up. I mean, clearly, I'm going to be interviewing lots and lots of 15 year olds, which will be Yay. highly entertaining for all of us once I've done that. Mm. Um, but no, I'm actually uh, I'm I'm at the point where I've got. So the next couple of months are going to be very busy for me with school talks and and all those sorts of things. But in the background the whole time, I'm going to be working away on the second book in the Adaban Cipher. Wow, you are a machine. Well, I've got I've written it. I, I, I'm working on the structural edit of it, so I've got to yes. kind of get that get that sort of underway and happening. Um, and once Have you written that's the next one, after written the that? next one, but, your yeah, next book. Well, I've written I, I have written another book. Um, that may be my next book after that. I'm not exactly sure yet. Um, and I've also started on – well, you know, it's an interesting thing. We talk regularly about the fact that there's no such thing as wasted writing. And mm. I have a couple of projects that I started um, last year, sort of about half uh, – no, not last year, probably the year before now that I think about it. Um, and it was before sort of – it was while Mapmakers was was chugging along and I think it was before mm. the third Mapmaker book came out. And I just started sort of – playing around with a couple of different ideas and then and then I spoke to the publisher and they said actually we want another map maker book and we'd also mm. like you to come up with a new series which I did uh, mm. so these other two ideas that I was working on kind of got sidelined so I've resurrected those mm. and I'm having another run at them I'm just having a little think about what they might be and how they might fit into the, all the other things that I'm doing and yeah you know so I just think it's that whole notion of just having things ticking away and and you focus on what needs to be focused on at any given time but there's always you know some other thing that might just I don't know who knows might just rear its ugly head at some point but we'll wait and see what happens with those fantastic very exciting and what about you what are you doing what am I doing? Um, I will be running a full day workshop for nonfiction authors uh, on how to build their profile, which is you know slightly different actually. Well, it is a little bit different to uh, building your profile as a fiction author because you have slightly different angles and things to hang your hat off. So that should be fun. And then I shall be, oh, I've got a few um, commissions that I need to get organized about. 
And um, yeah, but uh, no, I, I'm not. I haven't. I'm not writing five different books or or editing my different books as you are. Well, I'm not. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not. I'm sort of not doing them all at once. They're just no, sort of all swirling around in my. It's head. It's great that you can swirl around in your head because, like, I was talking to my friend uh, Cindy the other day, and she says this is the weirdest thing ever. Uh, she says that she can only watch one television series from beginning to end at any one point in time. Really? Because I know because that's. You know, she wants to just stay with that television series. And oh. I'm like, well, I get it if you're binge watching House of Cards over an entire weekend. Obviously, you're just watching the entire House of Cards yeah. or whatever or Game of Thrones, whatever. Um, but, you know, if the show is only on once a week, <laughs> that's – I don't really get that. And she says, you know, whether she's binge watching or whether she's waiting for a show to oh, come Oh, so even if week. she's just waiting for something. Like, yeah, so even she if there's something that's on free to air, yep, she just yep. watches one She watches one a week and she and watches she, only one series. Yeah, and she won't start another one because she has to finish that series because oh. that's what occupies – she doesn't let the other stuff swirl. That's what occupies her head. Goodness gracious me. I know. So that she probably wouldn't approach. write as many books as you. <laughs> no, <laughs> I would say. No, not. Anyway, where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me uh, at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. What about you, Val? Where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, yeah, feel free to connect with me on Facebook. Just search for Valerie Koo. I'm the one in Sydney wearing the blue top. <laughs> and um, we look forward to connecting with you on social media if you'd like to let us know what you think of the podcast or have any comments about this week's episode. But thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.